And when you're kind of going through the underwriting process and you get hung up on an assumption, don't worry about it too much. Don't fret. Don't spend hours and hours trying to figure out how to make that one assumption as perfect as possible because you're not going to have perfect information at this point. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean... This is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes, get that ultimate rental property tax guide. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. As you all know, each week we air two podcast episodes that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we will be offering some sort of document or spreadsheet or resource for you to download for free that accompanies the series. All of these free documents, as well as past Syndication School series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to be part one of a probably a six-part series entitled How to Underwrite a Value-Add Apartment Deal. So by the end of this particular episode, you will learn what you need in order to underwrite an apartment deal. We're going to quickly summarize the overall process 
And then we're going to start discussing the process by going over steps one through three of the seven-step process that we use to underwrite our value-add apartment deals. So the majority of the things that I say will apply to any size apartment deal, so a five unit up to a thousand unit or even more units than that. But whenever I reference a number or a percentage that is common, I'm referring to an apartment deal that is over 200 units, is a value-add deal that's a class B property in a class B market. So if you're not a value-add investor or if you're focusing on class D or class A properties, the numbers and percentages that I mentioned will be a little bit different for you, but regardless of which investment strategy or the type of property you invest in, this series is going to be an introduction to underwriting and it can be helpful to you regardless. So let's jump right in. So what do you need in order to underwrite a deal? Well, in the last series, series 13, I believe, we broke down the three documents that you need in order to underwrite the deal. So first would be the T12. So that's the profit and loss statement, which is an itemized report of all of the income and expenses at the property. For the T12, you want to make sure that it is as recent as possible. So when you are looking through deals, the most common T12 you're going to find is the one that's up to the most recent month. So if you're looking at a deal in March, then ideally that T12 leads up to at least January. Because sometimes companies are a little bit behind and it takes a few weeks to record the data from the previous month. So if you're looking at a deal in March, the earliest you'd want to see is it ending in January or December of that previous year. Sometimes they might provide a T12 for the previous calendar year. So I might be looking at a deal in July of 2019 and the T12 they provide is just for 2018. That's helpful, but you are missing the last six months. And if I was looking at a deal in January of 2019 and their T12 was up to December 2018, then I would you know, want to get my hands on those six months because that would indicate to me that not necessarily that they're hiding something, but that something happened in the previous six months that they don't want you to see. Next is the rent roll, which we also went over in last series. And for the rent roll, you also want that to be as current as possible. So ideally, the rent roll is from the previous month. I'm looking at a deal in March, then I want to see a rent roll that was pulled in February. Again, if I'm looking at a deal in March and the rent roll is from September of the previous year, then that would be concerning for me because it's not going to be an accurate snapshot of how the property is currently operating. And that's what we're using the rent roll for, to figure out how the property is currently operating so that we can make some assumptions of how we'll be able to operate it once we take over and what areas on the rent roll, the T12, that we'll need to fix. So those are the first two things you need. The third thing is for an on-market deal only, and that is the offering memorandum. So that was the third document that we went over in the previous series. The offer memorandum is that sales package that the broker puts together, may be biased, but there is still some helpful information in there that can guide you through this process of underwriting. And of course, the fourth thing that you need is going to be some sort of financial model in order to input all of your data into in order to under the deal properly. Unlike fix and flips or single family rentals where you can use a 70% rule or a 1% rule or a 50% rule, for apartments, that's not going to work. They're too complicated and too complex to do a kind of a back of the napkin analysis. 
you're going to need to have some sort of financial model that you use. It could be simple. It could be super complex, really up to you, but you're going to need some sort of model, especially since you're raising money from other people. They're going to want to know what assumptions you made and they want to ask questions about your underwriting process and if your answer was, well, I went with my gut or I just did some numbers on the calculator on my iPhone, that's not going to give them much confidence in investing in your deal. So there's a few ways to create or to get a financial model. Number one, I think this is the best way is to actually create it from scratch. So if you have some Excel experience, you know how to do formulas basically. And if you know how to do formulas, you can look up the rest in order to create a cash flow calculator. That's the best way to do it because... You will know your model inside and out, and it'll help you troubleshoot if there's any errors. It'll help you communicate what the results of your model and kind of what's going on in that model to other people. And just overall, what you'll learn about the underwriting process just by creating your financial model will be invaluable to you. Now, you're likely not going to be able to just create one from scratch if you've never even seen an apartment cash flow calculator before. So... The other option, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, is to purchase a model from someone. So there's lots of syndicators out there that will sell you their financial model for some sort of fee. Or if you join a apartment syndicator's mentorship or client program, then they will have a cash flow calculator provided for you. That's still a really good way to get a model. It's probably second best to actually creating your own from scratch. But again, creating your own from scratch is going to take some skill and experience. So What is best is either to get your hands on a model, no matter how complex or simple it is, and start working with that. And then over time, as you begin to understand that model, you can tweak it, customize it so that it kind of fits your particular need and kind of where you're at Excel-wise. Now, since this is syndication school and we give away lots of free stuff, the free resource for this series is going to be a simplified cash flow calculator. So this calculator, it definitely allows for some flexibility, but... There's some things that will not allow you to do, and if you want to to change that, you'll have to do it manually. So go to syndicationschool.com or the show notes of the show and download that simplified cash flow calculator. And as I mentioned, I would start with that and practice underwriting deals with that to get an understanding of how the inputs work, how the formulas work, what the various data tables are and the various outputs are. And then from there, you can add extra tabs or you can input more detailed data and add some formulas in order to make it as flexible as possible for you. But if you need a model, the simplified cash flow calculator can be used to fully underwrite an apartment deal. And it can be used in tandem with this seven-step underwriting process that we are going to go over in this series. So the overall process for underwriting a deal that we're going to go over, the seven-step process, is first you're going to read through the offering memorandum. Step two is you're going to input data from the rent roll into your model. Three, you're going to input data from the T12 into your model. Step four is you're going to set your underwriting assumptions for how you will operate the property after taking it over as well as some acquisition assumptions as well. Step five is to determine an offer price. So set an offer price based off of the previous four steps and inputting all that data into your model. Step six is to perform a rental comp analysis in order to confirm or determine what the rental premiums are going to be. So depending on the deal, you might do the rent comps before determining an offer price. But typically when you're looking at value-add deals, sometimes there will be some sort of value-add program that was implemented or initiated by the current owner. And depending on that process, you can use their proven rental premiums as your rental premiums. And in that case, 
You can set your offer price, and then you can confirm those rental premiums by performing a rent comp analysis. And then step seven is going to be to visit the property in person to confirm or adjust some of the underwriting assumptions that you've made that you kind of just put a placeholder in your model until you can actually get out to the property and you'll see its condition, see the surrounding market, and see the comps and things like that. So they mentioned in this episode, we're going to focus on those first three steps. That's going to be reading through the OM, and then that is going to be inputting the rent roll and the T12 information into the cash flow calculator. Now, before we go into that, just a few things about the actual assumptions that you're going to be inputting, which again, we're not going to go over until the next episode, but I did want to kind of introduce those and discuss some things to look at. So your assumptions are going to be based off of how the property will operate once you take over. And those are going to be based off of how the property is currently operating, as well as market information you've obtained from your management company, the broker, mortgage broker, a vendor that you're working with, etc. It needs to be a combination of those two things. It can't be just based off of how the property is currently operating, and it can't just be based off of your research. You need to see, okay, the property's operating like this currently. Here's what I plan on doing to the property, and... Once that's done, here's what the property will look like after all those renovations and operational improvements are implemented. And when you're kind of going through the underwriting process and you get hung up on an assumption, don't worry about it too much. Don't fret. Don't spend hours and hours trying to figure out how to make that one assumption as perfect as possible because you're not going to have perfect information at this point. Right now, all you have is an OM, a rent roll, and a T12 which is important information and is required to start the underwriting process, but you're still going to do some further investigations on your own. You're going to need to visit the property in person. You're going to ask questions to the vendors that may be implementing the improvements, your property management company, to hone in on the assumptions. So whenever you come across such an assumption that you're kind of stuck on, just put something in there as a placeholder. Just make it as accurate as possible with the information you have. And then insert a comment into that cell explaining this is an assumption that you made based off of minimal information and here are the questions I need to ask and the information I need to uncover in order to get that assumption to be more accurate. At the end of the day, once you're done with your model and you've gone through all seven of these steps, you're going to want to run all of the assumptions by your management company because they're the one that's going to be operating the property, managing the property, and likely implementing the business plan that you want. And they need to approve the assumptions before you actually buy the property. Because if you say that you can reduce some expense by 10% and the property management company has never seen that. And then once you close on the deal, you send them your budget and they say, hey, Theo, this expense you have here, it's not going to be reduced by 10%. It's actually going to go up by 10% or stay the same. That's going to affect your returns to your investors. So you want to make sure that you confirm all of these assumptions with your management company. Now, that being said, let's dive into the seven-step process. Again, we're going to go through at most as one through three in this episode, depending on time. And remember, as I said in the beginning of the episode, any numbers or percentages that I use are based off of a deal that's over 200 units, is value-add, and it's a Class B property in a Class B market. If you are looking at a deal smaller than that or a different investment strategy or a different property class or market class, Some of the numbers might be a little bit different. Some of them will actually be the same. I'll kind of differentiate once we get to the point where we talk about those assumptions. So step one is to read through the offering memorandum. As a refresher, the offering memorandum is that sales package that's created by the listing broker that's explaining the ins and outs of the investment. So essentially, you want to read through the OM and first take some high-level notes on the deal. So where is the deal located? What's the total number of units? 
walls of data construction. And then, again, since we're discussing value-add deals, you want to know, is this a value-add deal? Typically, when the property is sent to your inbox for the on-market deal, when you look it up online, it'll say value-add deal, but you kind of just want to go in there and confirm that it actually is a value-add deal and see in their executive summary, see what they say about the value that can be added to the property. Is it a value-add deal because of outdated interiors or outdated amenities, or is it something else like a really high loss to lease or some other operational improvement that can be made to the property? So a few questions that you want to ask yourself, and again, take notes on all of these, is number one, has the current owner started renovating the units? So have they initiated some sort of renovation plan on their own? And if they have, how many units have they renovated? And over what period of time were those units renovated? If you remember in a previous episode, I mentioned that it's important to understand over what period of time the renovations were done, because if you have 20 units that were done in the last two years, then those rental premiums are not going to be something you can trust. Whereas if they've renovated 20 units in the past two months, then you can trust in those rental premiums a lot more. And you also want to know how many units were renovated because you want to know if there's enough meat in the bone for you to implement your value-add program. For us, if we see a deal that has more than 50% of the units already renovated, then that is not enough meat in the bone and we will most likely pass on that deal unless there is some sort of other value-add opportunity or if we plan on renovating the units to a greater degree. Next, you want to see, okay, so they've renovated this many units over this period of time, so we're confident in the rental premium. So what is that premium that they're demanding? And again, later on in the underwriting process, I'll explain that this is a rental premium that you can potentially use as your own. You'll have to ask a few more questions, and we'll get into those later on in the series. Next, you want to know what renovations were actually performed because sometimes they've done a full upgrade on a few units and then you can look at that and say, okay, well, I'll just renovate the remaining units to that same degree. Sometimes they might have renovated a percentage of other units fully, but you plan on going above and beyond that. So on the units that were renovated, the cost will be a little bit lower than having to renovate the entire unit. And sometimes they might have a combination of renovations So you might have a unit that's a premium unit, and then you might have one that's fully upgraded, but not to the same degree as a premium unit. And then you might have some units that were partially renovated, so maybe they just replaced appliances. So it's important to understand what percentage of the units were renovated and to what degree in order to determine your interior renovation budget, which we'll go over in tomorrow's episode. Other information to look at in the OM would be debt. So Does the current owner have debt in the property? Uh, If they don't, then that's something good to know because you could leverage that to potentially offer some sort of creative financing. If there is debt, then you want to know if that debt is assumable. And if the debt is assumable, what are the terms of that assumable loan? So what is the interest rate? What are the number of years remaining on the term? Is there a prepayment penalty? Things like that. And then you also want to look at the market section of the OM and determine, okay, is this a really good sub-market or is this kind of a rough area? which can kind of be determined by the crime rates and demographic information. You also want to know, is this a blue-collar area or white-collar area? That's going to determine the rental premiums you can demand and likely the level of renovations you'll want to perform. And then another good exercise to perform is to use Google Maps street view function and kind of drop that little pedestrian guy directly on the property, kind of look at the property to see its condition because the Google Map picture is likely not going to be as pretty as the pictures that are included in the offering memorandum. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, 
There's many a times where I've seen a property go for sale and I look through the offer memorandum and the pictures are, are beautiful, the landscaping looks perfect, everything looks freshly painted. And then I go to the property and realize that they had some professional photographer going there that took pictures at the perfect angle. And you get there to realize the property is in pretty bad shape. So Google Maps can be helpful for that. Just make sure you check the date and make sure that the date is in the past couple of years and you're not looking at a, a picture from 10 years ago. So at that point in the OM, you'll likely run into the financial analysis for the pro forma section. And when you're underwriting a deal, you want to stop there because you don't want the broker's pro forma, the broker's assumptions of how the property will operate when someone takes it over to affect the assumptions that you make. So once you're finished reading the offer memorandum and taking your notes, which should take between 15 to 30 minutes, step two is to input the rent roll information. So when I say input the rent roll information, you got to remember you have your financial model. If you take a look at the simplified cash flow calculator, there are sections that are highlighted where it says, hey, input data here. And all the formulas are already set up, so you don't need to do that yourself. It would make sense to maybe go through the formulas just to understand how things are being calculated. But I just want to mention that because if I say input rent roll, well, what are you inputting it into? You're inputting it into your cash flow calculator. So the information that you need to pull from the rent roll and input into your cash flow calculator are the unit types. So these should include, ideally, renovation statuses. So that's A1 for one bed, one bath unit, A2 for the larger one bed, one bath unit. But then if one of those one bed, one bath units are renovated, then there might be an A1R and an A2R. And then if some of the units are fully renovated and others are partially renovated, there might be an A1 for the, you know, the kind of the standard basic unit, an A1R for a fully renovated unit, and an A1P for a partially renovated unit. So essentially you want to figure out, okay, here are all the different unit types at this property. And then for all those unit types, you want to determine what the occupancy status is. So essentially, are they occupied or are they vacant? Or are they being used for some other purpose, like an admin unit, a model unit? You'll want to know what the square footage is for each of those unit types, the total number of units for each of those unit types, and the average market rent and the average current rent for each of those unit types. Now, sometimes the rent roll is sent to you as an Excel document. Other times it's sent to you as a PDF. This is not a requirement, but it is very helpful to have the rent roll in PDF form. That way you can kind of manipulate and rearrange and organize things and do use Excel formula functions to calculate certain things that I'll go over in a second. But of course, you can technically do it on the PDF just using your handheld calculator or kind of inputting certain pieces of information into Excel. But to streamline the process, I recommend that you convert the PDF to Excel. If the rent roll is already in Excel, you don't have to worry about that. And then you want to organize it such that each unit is its own row. So typically on these larger properties, if when you convert the rent roll to Excel, you'll see that each unit might have four, five, six rows because of the various charge codes. So there's a rent charge code and then there's a pet fee charge code or a rent subsidy charge code or a parking charge code. All of those charges are important, but most important and the one that's relevant at this point is the rent charge code. Now, sometimes all the rent charge code will be the first charge code listed and all the other ones are below it. So you can just simply delete the rows for the other charge codes. But most likely it's going to be all over the place. So sometimes it might be the first one, sometimes it might be the second one, third one, fourth one. So you're going to want to rearrange it such that each unit is its own row. And the only charge code that's there is the rent charge code. The other charge codes are included on the T12 and we will be inputting those into our cash calculator from the T12. So the pet fees, month to month fees, any other fee that's being charged to a resident is listed on the T12 and we will use that and not the charge codes on the rent roll. So that might take some time depending on your skills in Excel. Once that conversion is done, 
then you can do a pivot table to essentially get a data table that gives you all the unit types and then all the metrics that I mentioned before. Now, a few things to note, because you're going to be inputting, additionally from the rent roll, you're going to be inputting the loss to lease, as well as the vacancy loss. The loss of lease is the total market rent minus the total current rent for occupied units only. So on Excel, you need to make sure that you're not including the vacant units or the admin model units in your loss of lease calculation because the market rent is going to be 700 bucks, but since it's vacant, the current rent is going to be zero. And if you include the vacant units in your loss of lease calculation, then you're going to essentially account for vacancy twice, once in your loss of lease calculation and once in your vacancy calculation. So again, just make sure that you're doing the market rent minus the current rent for the occupied units only. For the vacancy, you are inputting a vacancy loss, not a vacancy percentage. So we're not looking at physical vacancy. It's kind of like economic vacancy, but essentially it is going to be how much market rent is being lost due to vacant units. So essentially, sort your rent roll Excel document by occupancy type, and then add up all of the market rents for the vacant units, and that's going to be your vacancy loss. A few things, again, because as we're doing this process, we're going to take some notes for questions to ask brokers and vendors and your property management company. So for the vacancy, you want to know, okay, is the current vacancy higher than the market average? If it is, you want to know why. For loss to lease, is a loss to lease outside of 3 to 5% range? Essentially, when you think of loss of lease, if you assume rents increase by 3% each year, then your loss of lease is likely going to be 3% because if I sign a lease today at, say, $1,000, and then next 12 months, that same unit is worth $1,030, that person is still at $1,000 because they signed a 12-month lease. So by the end of their lease, there's technically going to be a $30 loss to lease that you recapture by re-signing their lease or putting a new tenant in there, but you're most likely going to be running at around a 3% loss to lease or maybe 5% depending on how fast rents grow. But if it's outside of that range, then the loss of lease is high for a reason other than you know, natural rent growth. So if it's outside of 5%, then you'll want to know why. If it's really low, then something also might be going on either with your calculation or in the information they've inputted to their rent roll, and you'll want to know why it's low as well. You also want to compare the total number of renovated units on the rent roll to the total number of renovated units that were listed on the offer memorandum. So the offer memorandum said that they've renovated 45 units so far, then you'll want to see 45 units that were renovated on the rent roll. Similarly, you'll want to take a look at the rental premiums and make sure that the rental premiums on the rent roll align with the rental premiums on the offer memorandum. So if they say that for those 45 units, the rental premium demanded was $110, then it better be $110 on the rent roll as well. And then lastly, after you input loss of lease, vacancy, and all of the unit information, just check to make sure that the gross potential rent on the rent roll, the bottom of the rent roll, matches the gross potential rent on your financial model, just to make sure that you've inputted everything correctly and that all of your formulas are correct. So I was going to go into the T12, but we're at the 30-minute mark now. So we will start tomorrow's episode by going over... Step three, which is inputting the T12 information. And then we will continue on to step four and discuss the beginning stages of inputting your stabilized assumptions for how the property will operate when you're done. So as a summary of what we learned today, we discussed the four things you need in order to underwrite an apartment deal. That is the rent roll, the T12, 
the offer memorandum and your financial model. We went through step one, which is to read through the offer memorandum, and well as step two, which is to input data from the rent roll, as well as some questions to ask, things to look at when you are taking your notes and creating your list of questions for brokers and property management companies and vendors. So until then, I recommend listening to some of the other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndications, as well as downloading that free simplified cash flow calculator at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account that counts free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.